where we bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, before I give you the quick rundown on today's program, I want to thank a couple of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. You can now order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, where Mark Klipsham offers planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance homes and buildings. Architecture by Synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from green bins. That's Architecture by Synthesis. So later in the program, we're going to be looking at Iowa's new, let's going to call it a voter suppression bill, <laughs> a bill that significantly overhauls the voting process in Iowa. We're going to be talking with Joe Henry with LULAC about that because LULAC is suing the state of Iowa. We'll also be talking with Charles Goldman about the push by labor unions in Alabama to organize at an Amazon workplace. Uh, we'll also talk with Charles about uh, some of the key elections coming up across the country this year that will impact voting rights. And finally, we'll be talking with Danielle Wanatee with the Meskwaki Nation about a group of native runners who are heading to Washington, D.C. on foot with an anti-pipeline message. Kathy Burns will join us for that conversation as well. But first, I am thrilled to welcome to the program uh, my fellow radio head, uh, <laughs> Justin Brady. Hello, Justin. How are you? Hey, Ed. Good. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Justin's a communications professional. He has a program called The Justin Brady Show. Check it out. Uh, this is the segment of the program. I have been interviewing Trump voters. Full disclosure, Justin is not a Trump voter, but he's not a Biden voter either. So I thought, well, we'll stretch it a little bit and have this conversation. Justin, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you bet. You're basically a libertarian, correct? Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. There are a few areas that I disagree, but yes. So a bunch of libertarians I talked to supported Donald Trump, but not you. Why not? Um, yeah, so there were a lot of, I mean, this is hard for me to say, there are a lot of posit positives um, about voting for Trump. Well, that's, a hard, that's, uh, hard my... for me, that's hard for me to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard for me to say it. There were a few things like uh, the UAE peace deals, North Korea, stuff like that that we've gotten pretty close on. Uh, that was exciting stuff. But then there were a lot of terrible things like him saying he was going to cut the deficit in half and running it up a crazy amount. And, um, you know, so here, here's the, the I don't know what it was, Ed, but back when Obama ran, uh, full disclosure, I didn't vote for Obama either. But something in me, I, I was having a conversation with some people about, hey, if everyone in the country would just vote for the best person for the job, regardless of party, we wouldn't be in this stupid mess where we're always putting up um, – the two worst people in the country and then voting to keep the other one out because that's pretty much what people vote for. They vote against someone, not for someone. And so I said, if everybody would just vote for the best candidate, regardless of party, we would not be in this mess. And then someone immediately just gave me a sucker punch to the face and said, and how often have you done that? <laughs> and I just stared at him and my jaw hit the floor and I'm like, ah, oh, busted, I'm busted. Part, I'm part of the problem. <laughs> Ever since that day, I just said, I don't care what party the, the, I don't care what party they are. I'm going to vote 
for the best person for the job. Okay, and, and so and so the, and the oh, go ahead. Ed. Well, the response to that is okay. You do that, and your vote basically doesn't count because, like it or not, we have a two-party system. It's almost always a Democrat or a Republican who prevails. There's a few exceptions. We had a governor in Minnesota, independent. Um, Maine, independent. We have two members of the U.S. Senate, independent. But that's really, really rare. So how do you argue against the people who say, well, nice idea, but our system really is going to marginalize anybody who doesn't vote for one of the two major party candidates? Yeah, I'd argue that the people that... um stuck with the two-party system and yielded Donald Trump and Joe Biden are the ones who threw away their vote. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I think I can speak to all my friends on the left and say, well, you're, you're a great little two-party race and throwing away your vote gave you Donald Trump. And I think I can speak to my friends on the right that say, and you're a nice little two-party race that you really like yielded Joe Biden. And I think both of them can get equally upset about that. Well, what's interesting is when you start to talk to people um, one-on-one, not through social media, not through web, but you start to talk to them. Uh, even my friends on the far left, uh, I would consider myself right of center for sure, but even my friends on the far left start saying very libertarian things, like they don't want the government controlling certain things. But then when it comes to voting, they their, their votes come out of a core of fear. I'm voting against this person because they're going to ruin my way of life and they buy into all the rhetoric that their news station, whether it be CNN or Fox News, uh, chooses to throw at them. So I really wish we could get away from fear-based voting and vote right. for candidates again. But, but, I like that. But, but isn't that going to take some some solid systemic changes, uh, some changes that will make will allow third parties to be viable? And that's that's a big that's a tall order. I mean, I have some experience with that because as a legislator, I offered changes that would have, for example, instant runoff voting, multi, or some sometimes called what multiple choice voting. Uh, uh, you know, that that was an idea that had bipartisan support. Me and one Republican. <laughs> the uh, the yep. both the leadership of both parties shot it down, and it was defeated on a voice vote. You know, so how do you get beyond the fact that the two parties who control how the system is rigged right now, don't want it to change. Yeah, it starts with realizing you're the problem. And that's what I did. And I've been talking about the fact that I was the problem and I don't want to, and I'm choosing not to be the problem. Um, As you know, I had a short radio stint on WHO radio. And, um, you know, I, I, for being on a station where most of the personalities were right, I got a little pushback for being center and calling out the president. But it starts with doing that more often. It starts with conversations that you're having with people to say, you know, there are a lot of people that see a problem with both parties. And it starts by leading by example and saying, here's why I'm going to not vote for a particular party. Here's why I got out of the Republican Party and I will not be joining the Democrat Party. It starts with having those conversations. And I think eventually... We can change that. But it, but it starts with people making those decisions and opting to, quote, throw away their vote in an effort to lead others. A couple of things. You said most of the voices on on WHO radio here in Iowa, which is one of the main the main the biggest commercial station. Are, you, you said most of the voices are, are right. I would say they all are. I mean, my experience having been on the radio in the past was once a bigger corporation bought what used to be 98.3, they threw off. All the local voices, and especially eager to get rid of the two progressive voices on the station, they wanted no balance at all. And and that's that's um I'm not sure you you had you said you had a short stint on WHO. Why was it a short stint? 
What happened? I had three. I had three total years. Okay. Uh, two years as a morning show. We were basically the. Uh, it was me and Adrian Branstad, and we were an apolitical, just very fun, basically weekend version of Van and Bonnie. Okay. So um, we took ratings from the toilet, and we built that show pretty well. We got really good ratings, and then you probably know Maxwell Schaefer. They put him on in that um, uh, that slot and wanted to move me to afternoons, four to six. And um, I eventually, it's a long story, but I eventually said yes and did that four to six show. And, and here's the, the challenge I had is, well, I had two challenges. One, I was growing my own business and trying to do a top news political show. So my customers were like, wait, are you a radio person or a business person? Right. So I had to really be very careful on that uh, side. But uh, so at the time I was wondering, you know, most of the popular radio is right wing people raging against how Democrats are the problem and they've ruined the country. And so that's not me. I don't believe that. I wanted to do data driven opinion. In other words, I'm going to give you my opinion, but I'm going to back it with a lot of data and sourcing. I'm not just going to rant and take callers. And, you know, I did, obviously took callers. Right. So I wondered at first, is there going to be any room for me on this on this station? You know, talk radio. Uh, will I have any hope? And as I wrote in the Des Moines Register, uh, I saw a lot of acceptance from the left and the right for this show, and we grew ratings substantially. There's like some policy p things that keep me from, or some laws or rules or whatever that keep me from talking about specifics on that. But right. uh, suffice it to say, we dramatically and big time increased the ratings having a data-driven opinion show. I saw a demographic from younger listeners who supposedly don't listen to talk radio. Uh, they were a fast-growing demographic. That's who I heard most often. And when iHeart made the decision to uh, cut all weekend programming, Gongle and I left at the exact same time. We were both cut. That was around the time the KXNO kerfuffle when all those shows were cut. Um, when that happened, the... Mo I, I actually heard most, even though I'm right of center, I heard most from dozens of friends on the left saying, you know, we really miss your show on the airwaves. And so I was able to prove that there is this hunger for this um, respectful debate, data-driven opinion, and talk radio does not need to be far-right people. And, and to your earlier point, Ed, yeah, I would agree all the hosts are right. The only reason I say... Uh, what I did is because a lot of people these days struggle to differentiate. It's no fault of their own, but they struggle to differentiate between opinion shows and actual news content. Right. And the news content I maintain over at WHO Radio is absolutely incredibly objective. I think they do a fantastic job. But it's just and I don't think any of the hosts would disagree with me that the show content is right. I don't think I don't think it's, I'm saying anything. It's, it's, it's far right and very opinionated. And I, I had kind of the same Completely. experience when I was on 98.3. We um, we took the uh, the hour long spot that used to be Michael Savage's, who is he's he's right, but also maybe insane. I don't know. He's he's pretty out there. My, Michael Savage is his own beast. But the um, we saw the ratings for that hour go way up. Uh, even though the audience was primarily accustomed to pretty right-wing uh, talk, I think it brought in some new people. And I think um, some, of the, uh, some of the typical audience like to stick around and then call and then, then pick on us uh, for having views that challenge them to think a little bit differently. But the bottom line is I think, I think radio is missing this chance to, uh, to, to, um, you know, to, to bring in new, a new audience, bring in a bigger audience, 
by diversifying content. And it sounds like you were able to do that. I think I was able to do that to some extent. But isn't, let me ask you this, Justin. It seems like the, the, the problem is that the public airways are no longer truly the public airways. We've done away with the Fairness Doctrine. Uh, the Telecommunications Act of 1996 allowed big corporations to own multiple stations in any market. And as long as you've got those two changes in effect, you're never going to have balance. Agree? Disagree? I don't know a lot about it, sadly. Uh, maybe I should, but I do even – all I can talk to is the daily programming in Iowa. And where you do have WHO radio – uh, their their hosts leaning right. You also have NPR and Iowa Public Radio that lean left. So you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't. I guess I don't have enough background and data to know if that would change anything. Yeah, I I, I suspect it would. But um, anyway, it's it's uh, you know it's exciting to see the option of a, a podcasting available. More and more people, including Bruce Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama. Are, are using podcasts as a way to yeah. uh, to generate dialogue and get a message out. And it sounds like you've been fairly successful with that yourself. Yeah, I had two podcasts. Um, so I had one before WHO Radio, and I'm guessing that my um, that was, in a way, how WHO Radio kind of vetted me when I met some of their people. They were able to go listen to the podcast. And then I had two while I was there, and then when I left, I kind of merged them into one brand. But uh, to your point, like I, I saw there were there were a lot of bizarre comments during my time at iHeart, like young people don't listen to talk radio. Yet at the same time, they were the ones rapidly growing podcasting and they were the ones I most frequently heard from. And even Dave Ramsey, who is the, the kind of the money guy on the radio, he has similarly talked about. Uh, young people being his massive demographic and they're listening on the air and they're calling in. I was seeing that same thing. It may have started out with people expecting far right content, but those listeners either went away or stopped calling in. Right. And I started hearing from people that were very pragmatic. They had thought it through. They would source things. And I think talk radio is still viable. Like, you know, everyone still has radios in their car, but bigger companies are just completely missing that opportunity. And as a result, we're seeing the market respond by creating technologies like po live podcasting, YouTube live, and then even, even audio only formats like Twitter spaces and clubhouse, because that format is desired, but uh, terrestrial radio just completely missed the opportunity. They had yeah. the data in their hands and they completely missed the opportunity. Were there any, Dem I'm curious, were there any Democrats running for president in 2020 you could have supported if they won the primary. Oh, you mean the whole? Um, yeah. If it, if it had been um, somebody other than Joe Biden who the Democrats nominated. Yeah, I told um, Congressman Delaney because uh, I actually had him on my show. I told him that he was uh, one of my top choices for the Democrat ticket. There were a lot of things, and this this comes from some off-air comments as well that we had some discussion. So I told him if you could evolve. On a few positions, dude. You're so close. I really like you a lot. And then um, Andrew Yang, I really liked him. Again, there were some, like, UBI, I think, would be a complete disaster for the economy. So, And I told him why. We had a half-an-hour discussion on why I don't think it's a good idea. Um, I like his heart. I just didn't think he was quite ready for the presidency. But another person who I really wish we'd have in office is Tulsi Gabbard. I think she has shown a history of being able to work with both sides. Some Republican Congress people I know 
um, said, you know, she was always respectful. She'd work with me and she'd be very open why she disagreed. And she seemed to have mutual respect from everyone except her own party. Hey, Justin, it's been uh, great talking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Folks have been talking with Justin Brady, a host of the Justin Brady Show. Thank you, Ed. When we come back, folks, uh, Joe Henry with LULAC is going to join us. We're going to talk about the lawsuit filed over Iowa's voter suppression law. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham has been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yup, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Thanks to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa, building rural-urban coalitions to address climate change, prevent the abuse of eminent domain, and to protect Iowa's soil, air, and water. Learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, again, welcome back to the program. And as we have seen across the country, uh, states are passing legislation that severely, in many cases, restricts the right to vote. Iowa has probably passed one of the worst bills. And I was very pleased to see the day after the governor signed the bill, uh, the League of United Latin American Citizens filed a lawsuit over it. And with me to talk about that is Joe Henry. Joe, welcome to the program. Good to be here. Thank you, Ed. So... To kind of catch people up on what exactly the Iowa bill does, and again, it just amazes me that they say we have to crack down on voter fraud, and yet they can't show cases of voter fraud. Correct, correct. And, and we've shown that because we've been uh, to court against the Secretary of State, the state of Iowa, uh, several times, well, two times in the past, 2012 and again, 2017. So uh, at each point, uh, we argue that there was no fraud in Iowa. And we won those cases because there's no fraud in Iowa. And then last year, Secretary of State uh, made it very clear that it was the most successful election last year. Great turnout. Everything worked out right with 1.7 million Iowans. The Republican, voting. the Republican Secretary of State made that claim. The Republican Secretary of State, Paul right. Pate. Yeah. Yes, he said it himself. A Republican said it in <clears throat> the summer and then again in November. And then here we are with this bill from the from the Republican uh, uh, controlled legislature stating that, okay, 
we have no fraud, but we need to secure the vote. In in a course, secure means to restrict the vote. Yeah, and, and clearly they, what that means. And they've been, I mean, they've been pretty clear. I mean, their intent, even though their words are not clear, the intent is very clear. Uh, I mean, look at the things they want to do. Uh, I mean, just, exactly. just I mean, just cutting. Well, go ahead. You 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 can. You're you're probably better equipped <laughs> well, to summarize it than I am. Well, you know, this is an orchestrated attempt, and it started with uh, with Trump and his rhetoric. Uh, right after the November election, uh, accusing uh, state legislatures, states uh, that uh, alleging that the vote wasn't done uh, correctly. So here we are with this bill, and it's restricting the right to vote, reducing uh, the amount of time people can vote early, and reducing the hours of voting on election day. And get this, restricting the ability of people who register days before the election, preventing them now from voting on the day of the election if they do it within a 10-day time frame. Now, of course, there's other elements in this bill, but restricting the right to vote. Why would we have this in a state where we had a successful turnout last year? Even the Republicans said it. Why would we have it? There is no fraud. There is no fraud that's been shown over and over again. So we know that this is an attack on the Latino community uh, to restrict the right to vote, to put more requirements in front of voters, especially young voters, will make it more difficult uh, not doing early voting when the overwhelming majority of Iowans voted early last year and will continue to do so. And part of that was COVID, you know, part of that was the pandemic, right? pandemic, of course, the pandemic uh, really created a lot of fear. And so there was a lot of education, a lot of encouragement for people to vote by mail. And the word got out. And of course, people did by 66% of of Iowans voted 66, 67%. So here we have, it was very clear on how to vote early. And now we're telling people that they want to vote early. They can only do it within a 20-day time frame to vote early. And if they request a mail ballot within that 20 days, they only have the first five days to get that request in. After the 15th day before the election, uh, they would not be allowed. And if they haven't registered to vote within the uh, 10 days leading up to the election, they're not going to be able to vote. What does that tell you? And then restricting the amount of time to vote on election day. So I'm pretty sure that in, in private conversations, the Republicans who are leading the charge to do this will make it clear amongst themselves that this is going to make it more likely uh, that Republicans will vote and Democrats won't. Yes, or said in a different way, this will make it uh, this will make it clear that older white voters will be voting uh, in the same proportion as before, but it will knock out many young voters, especially those voters from communities of colors because uh, the median age of our community is 23 in Iowa. The median age of the white community is 38. So when you look at the dynamics, uh, the layout of the voters in Iowa, and here we are, 6% with the Latino community, but 15% of Iowa voters are from communities of color. So you look at that 15%, uh, which generally uh, tend to vote Democrat in most, if you can knock out uh, a significant amount of voters within the 15%. Uh, that will suppress the vote clearly. 
And here in Iowa, you know, it is written into the Constitution that we have the right to vote. So to suppress it in any form, we will argue in court, our attorneys will, that it is unconstitutional. So what is the time frame for the lawsuit? Well, we spoke with our attorneys uh, last week. Uh, they've indicated that, you know, this will be uh, a long battle. Uh, things may occur sooner than later, but no exact time frame has been given. And of course, we have to leave it up to them to decide exactly when they do this, because even though the lawsuit has been filed in Polk County against the uh, Secretary of State and also the Attorney General, which is a Democrat, Tom Miller, uh, the, the lawsuit still has to be served physically to both of the defendants. So that has not happened yet. Once that does happen, Ed, then a whole bunch of things uh, right. occur, now, uh, the request for information and so forth. Besides the uh, League of United Latin American Citizens, are there other organizations that have signed on in support of the lawsuit? No. No, there haven't. Okay. No, there haven't. What about elsewhere we, in the country? Are there... We hope that there will be okay. down the road, but no, we're the only ones. What about country. elsewhere in the country? I mean, we have voter suppression laws happening all over the place. Are, there, are other states seeing legal action of this type? Uh, we're actually uh, the first or one of the first so far. That question has been asked a number of times. We're actually kind of leading the way at uh, ground zeroes here in Iowa. Good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. And there are uh, over 200 of these uh, uh, pieces of legislation, suppression, voter suppression legislation be proposed. And probably the worst over 40 states. Probably the worst uh, element of voter suppression, in my opinion, is gerrymandering. And we haven't, we don't have gerrymandering in Iowa, at least not at the state level, and uh, that's good. And that's good. That's because we have a law that requires a, a nonpartisan agency to draft the plans for district boundaries every ten years. Is it possible that Republicans might try to change that process this year, so they can make sure they can tweak and gerrymander the upcoming uh, upcoming census changes? Well, we believe so. I mean, what we see from the Republican side is a total lack of belief or support of democracy, uh, a violation of our constitutional right to vote. So, uh, I mean, clearly that side feels that if they can't win through democratic means, they're going to work on any form of suppression, including gerrymandering. Yeah. So it, it's very unfortunate. This is not what our country was built on. It was built on uh, the right to vote for all citizens, even though that has been a long struggle uh, since the founding of our country. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's evolved very favorably in the big picture from white property on white male property owners <laughs> exactly <laughs> to to a, a right. whole bunch of other constituencies that, uh, that that should have had the right to vote back in the very beginning. Uh, Joe, right. uh, thank you uh, so much for joining us. Folks, we've been talking with Joe Henry with the League of United Latin American Citizens about the lawsuit filed against Iowa's voter suppression law, recently passed and signed by the governor. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ed. When we come back in a couple minutes, Charles Goldman's, uh, Charles Goldman's going to join us. We're going to talk about how uh, union organizers in Alabama are pushing Amazon to unionize. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Markets Rewards Program is now free for all Gateway shoppers. You can sign up in person or via Gateway's online shopping site to earn points by shopping in person and online. 
Redeem those points for discounts at the time of your purchase. The program is valid for everything except catering or cafe purchases. And Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Hosfinley. You can also enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates, too. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Thanks to all of the local businesses and nonprofits that make this program possible, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or just by giving Dr. Holding a call at 515 232 8766. That's 232 8766. Joining me now on the program is uh, Dr. Charles Goldman. Hello, Charles. How are you? Yeah, how's it going? Good, good, good. Hey, so we've been, um, you've been tracking the situation in Alabama where uh, workers are pushing at an Amazon facility to organize a union. Yeah, it's really actually a very uh, intriguing situation. Um, you know, the... the it, it maybe wasn't the best employer to, to try this out, or maybe it is, because there are elements of, of Amazon's treatment of its workers that, that is actually better than many corporations. And these are workers that, you know, one of the distribution sectors for, for, down there. What, what are you, For example, what are you talking about? Well, they have a fairly uh, – the benefits, uh, the, the health care benefits are, are pretty generous at Amazon. They're not kind of like Walmart where, you know, they have, a, they have medical benefits, but – People, you know, still need Medicaid to be able to you know, take care of themselves. Right, right. Um, but and and the workers are paid, uh, you know, double what the minimum wage is in Alabama, which of course is seven fifty. Right. Um, and um, so, you know, they're they're taken care of to some degree, but um, there are a lot of elements about how uh, leave is handled, you know, and the fact that they can change your shift. At 6.15 in the morning when you're supposed to be there at 7.30, um, Amazon has very tight regulations about how much time you can be away from your workstation. And uh, sometimes, the, you know, if you, if you work overtime, you still only get the two same, like, 15-minute breaks you would have gotten as if you'd worked eight hours. Um, you know, there are elements of employment there that are like many other corporations, uh, un, you know, unsettling to hear about. Um, so... Uh, there, this this campaign to unionize uh, this distribution center down in Alabama has actually been going on now for months, it, it, and it's not a one-day election. In fact, Amazon tried to force it to be a um, – everyone had to vote on the same day. Right, you know, so kind of, like kind of their own miniature version of voter suppression. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yes. Yeah, for all those people who think it's really ingenious that we have an election day in the United States that's on a work day uh, for one day. 
Right. So Amazon uh, tried to do that, and um, they've done things like the union uh, likes to approach the workers as they stop for a light outside of the parking lot, and so they've asked. They asked the city to change the timing on the light so that people weren't sitting there as long. Well, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Did the city did the city go along with that? Uh, yeah, of course. Well, the Amazon said they were just trying to make it easier for the workers to get into the parking lot. Right, but you they know, were not, they were trying to make sure they had no time to talk with them about the vote. <laughs> right, exactly, right, and and you know they also like made it so there were less employees in the distribution center at any one time so, so that, that would force the um, union organizers to have to come at like weird times in the middle of the so, night uh, a few questions how, how many workers are we talking about at this one distribution uh, there's center? about six thousand workers six thousand uh, at this one place and what what, what percentage of the workforce needs to vote in favor of unionizing for that to happen yeah that's a good question i assume it's just a, a simple majority okay and uh and they have until when to vote uh, March 26th. Okay, so coming up soon. Any 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 indication on early returns? <laughs> I suppose they can't tell us <laughs> no, that. No, it's all going to be, you know, the, the, there's going to be obviously disputes over the votes, and um, this is going to take a while for them to count the votes. But no one has any idea. I think one thing that's really um, interesting about this is, uh, again, this is Amazon, huge company, employees everywhere, all over the country. And uh, I assume that there are other Amazon distribution centers, workplaces where, uh, you know, workers are looking at this thinking, okay, maybe this should happen here. Well, actually, that's exactly right. What, what's happened is, is that the same union has now been approached by uh, distribution, workers at distribution centers elsewhere who do want them to, to run the same campaign there. Um, and... Interestingly, Amazon has spent a lot of time having the um, workers take, quote, classes, end quote, uh, which basically are making Amazon's argument for why um, they shouldn't go with the union and that they don't need the union, that they're already, you know, <laughs> getting good benefits and they, they've been pushing the promotions. So force, force uh, propaganda. Right. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, you know, one of the pro-union worker says, you know, the best thing that's happened with this is that a lot of the things that the union, you know, kind of brought up that they want to negotiate with Amazon are starting to happen because the union is there and, and, and trying to organize, you know, and, and then I think that's an important thing to, to think about, which is that, you know, we have an economy that at this point that's dominated by basically five or six companies, mm-hmm. um, you know, about, I think, 25, uh, 26% of the economy is now in some way directly or indirectly under the thumb of the, you know, what we know as the FANG companies. Yeah, good, good, um, good transition because that, and FANG is uh, Facebook, Apple, uh, Google, Netflix. What am I missing one? Uh, Amazon. Facebook, oh, Amazon. Yeah. 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 Uh, Facebook, Apple, you know, Alphabet slash Google, Netflix. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the, you know, the, the, the large social, the large technology company. And some, some conversation is uh, focused on whether they should be, uh, broken up, and that uh, antitrust laws should be applied. What are your what's your, what's your take on on that? Well, you know the the House just completed and reported out um, very recently um, a investigation into just those issues and trying to you know enumerate what are the areas that these companies are you know working in a mon- monopolistic way. And, you know, unlike the old days where, you know, breaking up AT&T like in the 80s or, you know, breaking up the oil companies back in the 30s, 
the meatpacking industry back in the 30s. The nature of monopoly today is much more difficult to characterize, you know, because, for instance, you know, one of the big things is, is you know, Amazon has all these small companies that are um, selling on the marketplace. But at the same time, they're undercutting a lot of these companies by having, you know, Amazon-derived goods that are competing directly with these companies. You know, so you 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 have in one in one sense, the uh, these small companies are needing Amazon to be able to get the reach of Amazon to sell their product. But at the same time, the company's competing with them by undercutting their prices because they have that much control over the marketplace. Um, so it's a little bit different as to how how would you fix that problem, for instance. Yeah. You know, and you know, in all these cases, of course. Um, you know, it's interesting though. This this would be an area where you would think that it would be fairly bipartisan that you'd want to break these companies up in some way because they do. It, 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 you know, there's just too much concentrated economic power in these companies. Yeah. At this you, point. you all right. They, so go 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 with that. You said you would think there would be bipartisan agreement. Right, and there is to some degree. Okay. But for instance, when the report came out, Jim Jordan, uh, he of representative of Ohio who didn't know that there was, uh, you know, sexual assault being, you know, going on on his wrestling team at Ohio State. Um, he peeled off because he said there wasn't enough mention about how the technology companies are suppressing conservative views. <laughs> right. Um, but for the most part, there is bipartisan support. And I think that no. that even the champions of big business that, you know, both parties well, are to some maybe, degree, but maybe, certainly you know, more maybe. so the Republicans – um, you know, understand it's a dangerous economy when 50% of the valuation on the stock market is represented by five companies. Yeah, yeah maybe, and, maybe we're seeing a turning point here. I mean, you got you got the uh, you got bipartisan agreement to some extent that antitrust laws ought to be at play with these big corporations. You've got uh, an Amazon distribution center in Alabama that very well could unionize, and um, maybe this is a turning point for. For the for workers in the U.S., maybe this is a turning point for consolidation of monopolies. We'll see. Um, I'm hopeful. Uh, Charles, I got to run to a short break. Um, if you can stick with us, I'd like to talk with you about voter suppression. And uh, you know, th- there's so many different layers to this. We've talked about it earlier in this program with uh, Joe Henry with the League of United Latin American Citizens about the lawsuit. But looking looking either further down the road, there are elections happening in 2022 that could impact how this whole thing plays out. You can stick with us, Charles, and folks, we'll be sure. back. We'll be back in just a couple minutes on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. 
Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Progressive voices and diversity of opinions from across the uh, political spectrum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We're here in the heartland in Des Moines, Iowa. And with me this uh, segment of the program, Dr. Charles Goldman. A quick shout out to our local business partners, including uh, Noche Jazz and Cabaret, featuring both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Findlay. Noche also has a cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Check out Noche Jazz and Cabaret. All right, so there's been a lot of talk about voter suppression and some of the crazy legislation happening across the country in the name of stopping fraud, but really with the agenda of making it harder to vote. Charles, uh, I know you've been tracking this, and I know we want to talk about what happens in 2022, but what's your take on the current environment and how this is like steamrolling through legislatures across the country? Well, I... I think that it's reflective of the Republicans blatantly expressing the fact that they feel that the only way that they can maintain uh, viability as a party is to suppress the number of people voting and specifically uh, targeting young people and people of color at the present time. But remember, this goes back to the 70s. Paul Weirich, you know, was the Republican strategist who, who made the alliance with the evangelical Protestants that, you know, really pushed the Republicans forward. And he said this back in the 70s, that it, it's always to the Republicans' advantage to minimize the number of people voting. And he, so not, he, he's, he, he's been proven correct. Uh, and, and he's been proven absolutely correct. And if right. you need, for, for no other reason, look at the, uh, I mean, look at the extent to which gerrymandering has created incredibly lopsided districts uh, and incredible well, imbalance in states like Ohio. Yeah, no, that's, 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 that's a critical point, Ed, because, in fact, we're coming up on another cycle of redistricting yeah. as soon as the census results are finalized. And as, as you point out, it leads to a completely non-representational uh, House of Representatives because you have situations with redistricting in places like North Carolina, Texas, you know, just name, name your state. Florida, um, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Florida, yeah, yeah where yeah. Democrats can win the majority of the votes, and not by a small margin, but 55, 56% of the votes, and end up with a third of the delegation going to the House of Representatives, and similarly can win in the state legislature, you know, races, and uh, end up with the minority of seats in the, in the legislators. So I, I, in be the I believe Iowa is the first state where we've seen a lawsuit filed against a voter repression bill, and that, again, just happened this past week. But uh, it's likely to happen elsewhere. But, but beyond legal action against these, uh, these, uh, these, these laws, what, what, what might happen on the political front next year that could impact how, these, how, the, how this effort to repress the vote turns out? Well, I mean, a couple of things. Number one would be somehow H.R. 1 uh, is, is, is pushed through. And H.R. 1 is? 
is, is the you know the, the the voting rights act essentially the modern voting rights act that the Democrats have been trying to push through right. that would um, you know make illegal a, a certain number of these attempts to uh, you know get rid of early voting get rid of uh, no no excuse. Uh, absentee ballots, things but, like that. But, that. but that's going nowhere as long as the, the Senate has the filibuster. That's correct. I mean, that that that's a a, a two factor kind of thing, which so, is that unless unless they're willing to uh, alter the filibuster, then that'll never go anywhere. As they should it, be. I mean, is there is there any more anti democratic mechanism in the universe than the filibuster? No, it's amazing how it's been sold as somehow part of our heritage that should be preserved. It was only created to basically justify slavery. And make sure that the uh, Congress at the time didn't, you know, pass any laws against the Southern states continuing slavery. So, yeah, of course not. I mean, it's a joke, and it just shows you how ill-educated the American people are. So, what about actual elections in 2022? Do you see any way in which those might impact this? Uh, well, sure, this because yeah, in, in, in the only the only impediment to crazy voter suppression uh, laws going in, into effect. And by the way, there are ones that are even crazier than the ones Iowa passed. Um, so down that, in Arizona, the, oh, the legislature yeah. there is trying to push through a law that says that the legislature can simply invalidate the popular vote there and assign the electors <laughs> no matter what the, the popular vote is in Arizona. I mean, talk about um, talk about just blatantly saying, hey, we don't really value democracy here. Well, no, they're, 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 they're saying that that actually is what the Constitution says we should be doing. So anyway, yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> it, the, the governor's in these swing states, the, the identity of the governors in the swing states is absolutely critical because the governors can obviously veto um, bills where there's not a supermajority in the uh, Republican-led legislatures, and, the, go- and the, the governor can also refuse to sign off on the redistricting plans and force courts to, to, to draw them up. Hmm. And you know where there's going to be key races in 2022 is going to be uh, places like Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, North Carolina. The governor there can run for another term. Wisconsin, uh, he, uh, the governor there can run for another term. Pennsylvania, I think the governor there is termed out, so that's going to be uh, kind of a free for all. And Michigan, I believe she can run for another term also. Um, it is also going to be uh, probably a replay of uh, Kemp versus Stacey Abrams for the governorship in Atlanta, uh, in Georgia. In Georgia yeah. Unless, and here, this is where the real wild card is. In many of these places, you know, the Trump, the Trumpists are going to try to run people from the right, you know, the right of the sitting governors, right, to take out those who are disloyal to the president, i.e., uh, you know, particularly you know, Brian that, Camp. That theoretically might help the Democratic challengers. That's correct. Right. But I, but the key thing is, is that all that's really stopping the the Republicans from absolutely, you know, setting in stone their electoral advantage for decades to come are a relatively small number of governorships that the Democrats have managed to control. Well, um, a more a more lasting solution would be to and, and again, I don't I don't I I'm, I'm touting Iowa's horn here because it's it's true. We have a really good system in place for redistricting. We don't allow it to be done with uh, partisan gerrymandering. It's got to go through a legislative uh, nonpartisan, nonpartisan legislative service agency, and uh, when you look at the map of Iowa, the four districts are pretty much you know the quadrants of the state. And uh, right. the, the I know there are states that are I believe Wisconsin might be one of them. I know there are other states that are looking at that model. But gosh, if 
you know, any state should be pushing for something like that to get beyond the the uh, the impact that gerrymandering uh, has on our political system. Well, in in a situation where you know the the state legislatures were looking to actually govern and produce a representative legislature both at the state and federal level, yeah, that's what they would do. But <laughs> that doesn't seem to be the plan here. Yeah. Um, you know, the plan is, 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 is to just continue doing. And remember, they're, they're basically unfettered now in terms of gerrymandering unless it's so blatantly racially based, based on the decisions of the Supreme Court that, right. you know, the Voting Rights Act was moved because everything's fine now down south. And, and that, was, that, was, that was before the Supreme Court was made even more partisan by Trump's uh, most recent appointment. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a mess. <laughs> so I I think you're right. I think the elections of uh, the the governors governors races next year could make a difference. I mean, maybe not not well, in, not in Iowa, but certainly in some of the places you mentioned that are key. That's correct. And and you know, I would also say this is why it calls for the scorched earth policy at this point. The Democrats need to say if the Republicans were you know empowered, they would do it. The filibuster's got to go push through HR1 and then make the the Republicans take it to the you know various courts to prove why it has to be invalidated. And that, the that, other thing they go ahead. Yeah, the other thing they could do with HR1 is probably they might they might get more support from the other side if they would take out the elements that were directed at Citizens United and you know campaign financing. I'm not saying I, I don't want to see that happen too, but um, it, it's kind of a hybrid bill of both voting rights and also trying to rein in the exorbitant, yeah. you know, campaign spending. In, in our, it, that may be too much of a reach. In, in our last thirty seconds, Charles, what are the what are the reasonable chances of the Senate doing away with the filibuster? Uh, I would say that it's probably ten percent that they would do it. Ouch. Okay. I I think they will make changes that will make the Republicans pay for filibustering. I think that is 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 more, hmm. uh, you know, something that you know right. that cinema. Well, I mean, and the, the, the Joe Manchin would be uh, you know I, okay I, with. I'd say even more than next year's elections, the fate of the uh, the fate of the right to vote hangs on doing away with that filibuster. We'll see. Oh, absolutely, we'll see. I agree yeah. with you. Hey, uh, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Charles. We've been talking to Charles Goldman, folks. Um, appreciate you having on the show as always, Charles. No, it's great being there. And when we come back, folks, uh, Kathy Burns and Danielle Wanatee are going to join us. We're going to talk about Native runners who are heading from the upper Midwest to Washington, D.C. to carry an anti-pipeline message with them to the seat of the U.S. Capitol. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. 
Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks to all of our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. You can also, um, in addition to just shopping at Gateway or using their cafe, there's a rewards program. You can sign up for their rewards program, get points, and get discounts. It's a great deal, folks. Check it out as Gateway Market and Cafe. Joining me now on the program, uh, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm and Danielle Wanati, our good friend from the Meskwaki Settlement. Uh, Don Danielle, welcome to the program. Hi, Ed and Kathy. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And you um, you and I and Kathy have been connected for a long time. We got involved with opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline before it was popular <laughs> to do so. And um, you were once again uh, involved with a group that are running from the upper Midwest to Washington, D.C. to call attention to the problems of these oil and gas pipelines. Yes, I'm... Collaborating again or joining the Standing Rock and Cheyenne River youth that are supporting the historical injustice we can we continue to fight against pertaining to the Dakota Access Pipeline, otherwise known as the Keystone Pipeline, or otherwise known as the Bakken Pipeline through the state of Iowa. Yeah, this Keystone Bakken and also Line Three is part of it too, up in Minnesota. Yes, Line Three and Line Five; those are all coming from the same area. Danielle, you and I started uh, similar times to fight the Dakota Access Pipeline with a little different angle. I, quote, own land on the pipeline route originally when it was coming through. Uh, land that I know was not originally white people's land, so it was stolen from, uh, from natives. But then the pipeline company wanted to come in and do what felt like stealing, although they were going to pay, but there were going to be exorbitant uh, uh, amounts of damage and um, uh, repercussions to what they did to that land. So we both have a, a really serious connection to the land. And what, what's your uh, take on what that pipeline and all the pipelines are doing to our land as we know it? Well, what it first utilized was eminent domain for private gain. Eminent domain is supposed to be used for a public utility company, and they utilized eminent domain for somebody's own personal profit on this pipeline. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that even private landowners have no say-so on what is going to happen to their land. Even when they voice opinions, they'll get oppositions from people up in higher levels like the Iowa Utility Board. And the thing is that Iowa's land is considered the black gold of the United States because of how rich in the nutrients it is. And Meskwaki's being private landowners in the state of Iowa kind of understands how these companies can go around what people's livelihoods and what their well-being is based upon, which is fresh, clean water. Mm -hmm. And if we see that this happening in other parts of the nation, like on reservations where it's supposed to be federally regulated, that they can do this, that who's to say next that it can happen to anybody. And we've seen that it now is happening to citizens in Iowa, which we don't have a federal reservation on and we are private landowners. So this is something we have to be very aware of because it's a slippery slope that 
isn't just pertaining to Native Americans, it's also pertaining to everybody. Mm-hmm. But Standing Rock youth and the Cheyenne River youth have brought light to the situation of what is happening in the United States. And we can see a lot of the the injustices that is happening in the United States now kind of stems from the tactics that they use over at Cannonball when mm-hmm. they were using their water cannons the and dogs their, and yeah. their concussion grenades against mm-hmm. citizens of the United States. So mm-hmm. that's something that um, I believe that still has to be addressed. And so this is what the youth are still going to address. And we've always been allies with them. And so We'll be joining them when they go to Washington, D.C., when we run 2.8 miles on the 31st, March 31st. And on April 1st, we're having they're having another event over there where they're calling people and elected officials to join in solidarity against Line 3, yeah. which is and up there's in Minnesota. Each, uh, these, these pipelines, have, they're all in kind of different status, uh, status areas. I mean, Keystone has been canceled, but of course it could be revived under certain circumstances. Uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline, or Bakken Pipeline, is running oil. But now they want to expand. They want to double. So we're hoping to stop that. And then Line 3, I, I, not even quite, I think Line 3 is also an expansion issue. And I can't remember what the status of Line 5 is. But they're all a little bit different. And is it possible to present a unified message to the um, people you hope to meet with in Washington and along the way to, you know, to, to say with one voice what you would like to see happen with these pipelines? Yes, on April 1st, we'll start the day with a spiritual run from the Museum of the American Indian and run to the Army Corps of Engineers office to hold a rally. And then from there, we'll march to the White House for a closing event. And this is all in solidarity with the Cheyenne Re- Standing Rock and Cheyenne River youth that have started saying, hey, this is very scary for us because when the pipeline breaks, north of where they live, they can turn on the faucet and in 30 minutes, that oil will be flowing out of their own faucets into their homes. And so that's something that we have to be made aware of. And even in Flint, Michigan, they still don't have safe, clean drinking water. And if that can happen in the United States, we have to make everybody aware that this could happen to any part of our country nowadays. Mm. And it's very important that we we stay in front of this kind of subject because it's almost like if you can contaminate the water, it'll take six weeks before you can wipe out half the population. And the children and the elders are the first to go. And that is very scary to even think about, Danielle, especially after going through COVID. I, I've always really admired your passion, your activism, and I, I just... I have been so moved by the way that you frame the issues and the issue around water is uh, is really beautifully framed by you in a way you talk about um, how it's the first thing we breathe in the mother's womb. Um, can you talk about that just a little bit? Because, you know, that always really um, makes me aware that we need to keep we need to keep fighting for this cause. Well, everybody has to realize that we breathe water in our mother's womb before we breathe air on this earth. And that's how come water touches every human life in the United States or even in the world. We can't live without water. Our body is compromised of a lot of water. <laughs> and that's something that people doesn't people don't understand. Babies, if they don't nurse on their mothers, the mother drinks the water. If they don't nurse on their mothers, they still need formula. Mm -hmm. And if you see an elder who is towards the end of their life, 
when all they want to do is drink water, it's hard to watch somebody dehydrate or die from dehydration. And that's just, you know, part of life. But the thing of the matter is, is that we all have to care about each other nowadays, whether we like it or not, whether you're Democrat or Republican, we're all human beings. And we all deserve fresh, clean water, whether it be through water regulations in your own community or holding people upstream accountable for what drains into the water. Because now we see the dead zone down in the Gulf of Mexico in the Louisiana Bayou where people are struggling to even harvest their own their own indigenous plants and crops from the region down there. And yeah. We have to start being aware of everybody. I'm recognized as second fox of the Mississippi and Iowa. So the Mississippi River is very important to us. And so what goes in there, we have to also be aware and be good stewards of this land and the water because the waterways are the veins of all this land and it's all connected. So if we don't take care of the water, then how can the land be taken care of? And the land and the water in turn take care of the people. So that's something that I guess we have to get back to, and maybe we forgot about it during the pandemic and all this turmoil amongst each other, but it's something that I guess we have to bring back to the forefront nowadays because we all get thirsty and want a drink of water every now and then. Yeah, we're, but, drinking, we're drinking water right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we just got a minute left, Danielle, but I, I wanted to see, this is not the first time the uh, Standing Rock youth have organized a run to Washington D.C., it's maybe their third or fourth time to ro- to have a, this kind of a relay run. Um, so I'm impressed that they they're continuing to stand strong and continue, and they they persist in these actions that I think have had a have had a big impact. Yes, and if you can please help us by publicly expressing your support of our event and the demands that we have for President Biden to stop these climate destroying projects then please look for us on Facebook, look for us on Instagram and follow what they're doing and give them support. This They're not doing this for their own personal benefits. They're doing this for everybody. And so, and they are youth. And so we as adults have to support them because in the near future, in 20, 30 years, we're going to have to depend on them to get some of these things to become better for us as elders. Doniella, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, folks, we've been talking with Doniella Wanati. She's a Meskwaki leader from uh, here in Iowa and involved with the uh, effort to uh, to run, to, to run to bring a relay of uh, Native youth and others, supporters to uh, Washington, D.C. in opposition to pipelines that have been nothing but trouble and promise to do a lot of great harm if they are allowed to continue and expand. Doniella, thank you so much. Thank you. Also want to thank our other guest today, uh, Justin Brady. Uh, thanks to Joe Henry as well, Charles Goldman, and of course, Kathy Burns. Thanks to our production team of uh, Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina, and to all the folks who take the time to listen and uh, help to um, promote this alternative to the shock jocks on commercial radio. Again, this is Ed Fallon, your host for the Fallon Forum.